Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. Are you looking to plan and book an upcoming Disney vacation? Contact the Tierra Talk Show's official travel agent, James from Destinations in Florida, by visiting destinationsinflorida.com backslash Tierra for a free quote. The link is also included in the show notes on our website. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, designer and director Don Dorsey to the show. Welcome, Don. Hi, Tammy. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, and I can't wait to talk with you today about being a director and designer for the Disney Company. But I first would like to hear a little bit of your backstory before working for the Disney Company and how you came to work for the Disney Company. Well, there isn't a whole lot of backstory before I became associated with Disney because I was still in college. Um uh, late in my high school career, I got interested in music arranging and audio recording. And so I worked with a lot of local bands and musicians from my school uh, when they wanted to do demo recording and so on. And uh, in scouring the, the local neighborhoods, I happened across a recording studio owned by Jose Feliciano and stuck my head in the door and got to know the engineer there who invited me in and, and was very uh, encouraging and helpful and we formed a relationship, and uh, soon I was uh, becoming trained in the recording arts, you know, officially, as opposed to just my sort of amateur interest. And um, that proved very valuable when uh, Jack Wagner of the Disney Company, who was then the producer for the entertainment division, saw an article in a newspaper that I was performing on a synthesizer live with the Fullerton College Concert Band doing an arrangement that I had uh, written for synthesizer and concert band. And Jack came to the concert and came up to me afterwards and says, I might have a job for you, young man. And two years later, indeed, it turned out that he did, and I began work as his protege and assistant in uh, early 1975 on the America on Parade project. Wow, my goodness. So so 1975 is when you're first kind of starting out with the Disney Company. And you then you start working on Main Street Electrical Parade, which is a parade that's beloved by many Disney fans and anybody who goes to the theme parks. And it's just been brought back to Walt Disney World since uh, Spectro Magic took its place for a, a short amount of time. Well, the original Electrical Parade started in 1972. And it was an outgrowth of Bob Yanni's imagination. Bob was our vice president of entertainment at Disney for many, many years. And um, when Walt Disney World opened in 1971, the first electrical water pageant uh, was put on Bay Lake. And that was basically two-dimensional flat screens with lights making simple outline images. And in the search for music for that, um, Jack came across the Baroque Hoedown piece. And so they used that at Walt Disney World for the water pageant 
1971, and then in 72, they adapted it for the electrical parade at Disneyland. And Walt Disney World didn't have the electrical parade at that time. The gentleman who did the original music arrangements for the 1972 electrical parade, working with music director Jim Christensen, was a gentleman named Paul Beaver, who was a local uh, Los Angeles session musician and synthesizer expert. And the first electrical parade, of course, was pretty straightforward. It was all done on an eight track, laid down one note at a time because synthesizers were basically monophonic instruments in, in that time period. That parade and all those original tracks were used from 1972 to 1974. And unfortunately, in the summer, I believe, of 1974, Paul Beaver passed away which left Disney without a synthesizer guy. And this was right at the time when Jack was discovering me and knew of my capabilities. And so I sort of was approached as the replacement to come in and take over synthesizer duties for the music department. Started with America on Parade because the electrical parade went on hiatus. And then when the parade came back in um, 77, um, I volunteered the new ideas of a fanfare opening rather than just a fade up and using the vocoder to uh, articulate the announcement with musical tones and had two years of experience working with America on parade as to how parades get staged up and down the street. So it seemed natural for them to sort of hand over the parade audio to me and say, okay, um, take it from here. So we re-recorded many of the tracks in 77. And of course the Walt Disney Walt Disney World got the electrical parade the same summer, so they needed new music for the electrical water pageant. And so I was called into service to replace the music for the original or the uh, updated electrical water pageant in Florida, also in 77. So the spring and summer of 77 was a busy time for me as I was coming on to all these projects and uh, reorchestrating and, and recording all of those. Have you worked just to see if they needed any updates, you know, here and there? If maybe the Disney company asked for something different, did you come back to work on that? Well, we updated the uh, Main Street Electrical Parade several times. As uh, new movies came out, we added a uh, neon float, I believe it was 78 or 79. Um, there was an attempt to inter start introducing new lighting technology to the floats. And it turned out that the neon was sort of artistically incompatible with the uh, twinkle lights. And so that float lasted a very short period of time. Um, and in 1985, when Tokyo Disneyland adopted the Main Street Electrical Parade, we did some new units for that, which included the uh, Peter Pan unit, uh, the Pinocchio unit, and the Snow White unit, and another unit just for Tokyo, which we called Swans which was not associated with any particular Disney movie. It was just an image that the Japanese people happened to really appreciate and they wanted to have swans in their parade, so we did that. Is there any Disney film you'd love to see added to the Electrical Parade? Because, you know, there's always rumors that they might add a new movie to the Electrical Parade just to promote that movie. You know, Frozen's been a big thing. So is there any Disney film that you would love to see added to the Electrical Parade and love to play around with the music for that? Well, I can't give away too much information, but there is a whole new Electrical Parade debuting this spring at Disneyland for the 60th anniversary. So I think you're going to see um, the newer movies uh, gradually taking their place in the daytime and nighttime parades. I'm really excited to see this. This is going to be 
very much different, but I know a lot of Disney fans love to see the new and the old incorporated with one another. And who doesn't? I I love the Main Street Electrical Parade. And I also love another parade that really didn't get to uh, last very long. It's called Tapestry of Nations. For those listeners who have never heard of it or never saw it, it was around, I'd say, the new millennium period at Epcot where they had a parade of floats that were celebrating the millennium, basically, with uh, wonderful masks. And, oh, it was just a wonderful parade. And it went around the whole World Showcase Lagoon. And I really miss it. I know a lot of other people miss it, too. I'm going to guess that you miss it as well. What was it like working on that specific project? Well, all of the Millennium stuff was developed in the same time period. And Gary Pabin was the show director on Tapestry of Nations. And I was the show director on Reflections of Earth. And we put our heads together and found ways to link the two events through the use of uh, the drums uh, that I use in the intro in Reflections of Earth, the torches with the uh, the flames that circle the lagoon. Um, and Gavin did a really good job of combining our two musical efforts uh, in a very interesting way. Um, at the end of Reflections of Earth, there's a playout song called Promise, which is a version of the finale We Go On, that actually incorporates a tapestry uh, melody as the verse and the We Go On as the chorus. So it's a an intentional melding of the two show concepts into one piece for the, the playout after both have been concluded. So Tapestry opened for the uh, millennium, And it was a very, very large uh, pageant with uh, gigantic puppets, uh, courtesy of Michael Curry design. Uh, Michael was a lot of fun to work with. And, of course, Gary Pabin, being the show director on that particular production, worked with him much more closely than I did. I was sort of peripheral to the whole thing, working through Gavin um, on the the musical concept and and giving him some, some pointers on how the two shows could work together musically as we were developing both tracks simultaneously. Do you think that Disney might ever maybe bring back something like a concept like that, maybe in a couple years or so, to celebrate Epcot or one of its anniversaries? Well, the Epcot promenade, which is, I think, about a kilometer and a half all the way around, is a very, very large parade route, basically. And because the viewing is either directly in front of you or... 1,200 feet across to the other side, um, it really needs a major event such as the Millennium when you can justify putting something the entire circumference. Um, We had a parade, a World Showcase parade, when uh, Epcot first opened that ran for the first summer season. And the fact that the the promenade is so long and the access spaces are so far apart means logistically it's very difficult to to mount events that aren't of a sufficient size to have the proper backstage support at every one of the promenade entrances. Really love uh, Reflections of Earth and Tapestry of Nations. I miss Tapestry. I'm really happy that Fantasmic has stayed so long at the Disney parks as well. Were you working on the original Disneyland version and then moved on to the Disney World version? Because I know the Disneyland one came a little bit before Disney World's. The Disneyland Fantasmic was actually um, a work in process for about eight years that went through many twists and turns. Um, My business partner uh, on Illuminations for Epcot and I were asked to create something for Disneyland. And we decided that the Rivers of America was sort of a natural show place where there was a lot of 
a lot of uh, audience area to focus on it and so on. And we were specifically asked to develop a concept that was very edgy and played to the area of the park. So we turned our attention to the Haunted Mansion and actually for many, many years we're developing a, a haunted river show until finally it was shut down uh, because they thought it was going to be too expensive. A very short time after that, there was a meeting with Michael Eisner and he came out of the meeting and said, you know, we really should do something on the river. And because he had never seen the Haunted River Show presentation in the course of just a casual conversation in the hallway, another show director, Barnett Ritchie, said, well, what if we did a show based on Mickey and his imagination? And Michael said, okay, run with that. And the next thing we knew, we were taking our seven years of research into fire on the water, using the pirate ship, using the, uh, the riverboat, uh, terracing the audience area, all of the research that we had done uh, played right into this new idea. And so that show was given a green light very quickly and opened two years later in 1992. So uh, at that point, I sort of passed the director's hat over to Barnett and became the sound design consultant and did all of the audio recording and sound effects design for the Fantasmic here. And when that show opened, the marketing representative from Florida said, oh, we need to have this at uh, Florida. It's a, it's a very strange business uh, producing these large-scale entertainments. And I have to say that the people that I've worked with at Disney over the years are just fantastic, amazing people with wild imaginations and a can-do spirit that I've not seen at many other companies. You've always been working behind the scenes for most of these attractions. So let's put yourself in a character's position. If you could play any character in Fantasmic, because there's so many, you know, where I talk Disney World, all the Pocahontas characters, or all the Peter Pan characters, which one would you like to step into the role for? Oh, boy, that's a dangerous question. Um, I have made a couple of uh, unscheduled appearances in parades just for the fun of it. I was goofy on the front float of America on Parade one day. I've also played an ice cream pusher in America on Parade, and <laughs> I've done Canopy Carrier in the Main Street Electrical Parade. But now you've already worked on Festival of the Fantasy Parade and the Paint the Night Parades. So what is it like to work on these newer projects? Do you kind of bring to the table some of the things that you worked on on previous projects for Disney before and, and just that same, that same enthusiasm? We have an unofficial motto that is, we never do the same thing once. Things are always changing. Uh, there's certainly a body of experience that comes from working on these shows over the years um, that is invaluable and plays a role in everything new we do. But we're always discovering new ways to do things, new ideas. There's always new technology. Uh, there are new problems to be solved. It's, it's a constant learning process that I find very, very invigorating. Going back to one of your earlier points and thinking about um, developing new shows, um, the World of Color show at Disney Disneyland Resort is an example of a show that the hardware doesn't change very much. It's all updated software from time to time. In other words, to put in a new movie, you just sit in a programming trailer in the middle of the night and make things different. To do something on a scale of reflections where you have to construct physical things that have to drive out in the middle of the lagoon and be self-powered and um, have, you know, different control systems for fireworks and flames and all of that stuff. The physical building of a spectacular show is a whole different animal than 
something like World of Color once it's been installed. Obviously, there's a, a massive design and construction effort to put it in the first time. But once once the, the instrument has been made, it's just a question of what do you want to play on it tonight? And that kind of show has given us great flexibility in being able to customize performances for trade shows, private parties, to put in new modules when a new film comes along and so on. So that's seems to be the direction that the company really wants to head with these these kinds of shows is something that can be built once but remain creatively flexible over a longer period of time. But I have some Disney questions I'd like to ask you. I call them my Fab Three questions. So we'll start with the Donald one. So as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites? Mary Poppins. It's sort of a toss-up between that and Son of Flubber. I mean, who doesn't love a flying car? And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? That's a good question. The first one that came to mind was Eeyore, but I don't think <laughs> I don't think that <laughs> that would be the right answer. These are good questions, Tammy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? The song from the Pocahontas end credits, If I Never Knew You. I'll tell you why. Because... I designed a show around the concept of what would the world be like without Walt Disney. And that was the song that led me to that particular inspirational thought. And it was going to be a a show for the Disney studios to take place in front of the Chinese theater. It only progressed so far, and then they decided to put in a hat. Yes, the hat that is now gone. The hat that is now gone. Does that mean that something can be revived out of this project? I don't know. Oh, well, I'm going to cross my fingers on this one. I will send letters to Disney if you need me to. Because <laughs> I would love to. That is a that is a really, I think that's a very smart idea, especially since one man's dream is right across the way. That's right. So that would be perfect. I, I'm not sure it's right for the theme park. Uh, it might be better, you know, on Broadway or, or somewhere else rather than actually in the theme park. But I'll take any support I can get. Don, I wanted to make sure that you mentioned your website so our listeners can head over there and, and they can send you an email if they have any other questions they'd like to ask you. So would you like to plug that? I can plug that, and it's pretty simple. It's dondorsey.com. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Don, and, I, and I, I'm very excited for any other projects. I, I can't wait to see them because they've always blown me away, and I know that's not going to stop anytime soon. So thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. The Magic Kingdom's Main Street Electrical Parade. Welcome.